welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on 12th of October and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and the team this week comprises Phil Lee. Hello. Jane Fairs. Hello. As my two readers. John Plush as the recording engineer who's waving on the other side of the glass and Carol Hartle and her wonderful team who do all the copying and admin for us. I'd like to extend a very warm welcome today to three new listeners that we have. Kathleen Neal, Elizabeth Anthony and Norman Round. I hope you particularly enjoy our recording today and if you have any problems, do get in touch. So, as always, or at least for the next four weeks, we'll be including, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers. However... Some of our listeners have asked if it would be possible to move the useful telephone numbers to the end of the recording, along with the obituaries. This would have two benefits. The first, that the numbers would always be in the same place each week, making them easier to access. And it should also allow a little more time for more news to be recorded. However, before we make this change, we definitely would like to consult you, our listeners, for your feedback. If you should feel strongly about the telephone numbers being moved, please can you let us know, either via a note in your wallet or by leaving a message on the answer phone. And we're going to run this for a month where we keep the uh, important telephone numbers within the body of the recording and then we'll move them on if nobody objects. So after that, we'll then do what's on in the local theatres, etc., followed by headline stories, a selection of general news stories, some sport... And then finishing up with Thought for the Week, Sunrise, Sunset Times and, of course, the birthday file. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, do get in touch and we'll add you to the file. And as you all know by now, obituaries are recorded after the closing music. We love hearing from you, so if you have any comments or problems, just leave a message in your wallet or on the answer phone on 01905 767 766. And finally, the services free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. So, let's start this week with the telephone numbers, which Jane's going to read for us. Talking newspaper, Colin Chance House, 01905 Listeners should be aware that this is not manned daily and need to be patient if a reply is required. Police, non-emergency, 101. NHS Direct, 111. Crime Stoppers, 0800 555 111. Worcester Hub, 01905 765 765. Worcestershire County Council here to help, 01905 768053, option 3. Community Risk Team, Fire Safety, 0800 0321155. Domestic Abuse Helpline, 0800 980 Sense Adventures, Walking for the Visually Impaired. D. Jones, 01684 819796 Mobile number 07920 144614 or 
www.senseadventures.co.uk Samaritans 116123 Worcester Live 01905 654 8.30am to 4.30pm Link Nurseries at Poic have a session for visually impaired on Friday mornings. Telephone 01905 831 881 for more information. National Grid, formerly Western Power 0800 917 7953 Use this in event of a power cut. There is a priority service, register free, on 0800 032 8302, who will provide information, for example, in Braille, large print or alternative languages. Thank you, Jane. So, on to uh, what's on, and I've got three notices from Site Concern that I would like to share with you. The first one in, um, involves an art and craft group, and they say, Join us for a relaxed and social group where you can explore your creativity. Every Wednesday at 10.30 a.m. until 12.30 p.m. at the Bradbury Centre, that's 2 Sansom Walk, WR11LH. They only have limited places, so booking is essential. There's access to tea and coffee, and where possible, bring your own projects, but they have some of their own resources if you need ideas. It's £2 a session, and if you want further information, contact Site Concern on 01905 723 245. You can book using that number, or you can go online and book on at, sorry, info at siteconcern.co.uk. That's every Wednesday, so I think, I don't think you have to go every week, but you do need to book every week. They also wanted us to advertise um, White Cane Day, which is later on this month. On the 30th of October, they're welcoming Dave Williams to come and talk about his experience of mobility and travel as someone who is visually impaired. Now, that will be between 2pm and 4pm on the 30th of October, also at the Bradbury Centre, 2 Sansom Walk, WR11LH. Uh, if you want more details, again, the phone number 01905 723245. And the last thing from Site Concern, they've asked to tell you all about their Christmas party, which takes place at the Bradbury Centre on the 18th of December. Timings to be confirmed, but you might just want to pop that note, uh, sorry, that date into your diary should you want to attend. Um, I've got a couple of things coming up slightly further away, to be honest, on, in the theatre, but sometimes these things do get booked up and I thought you might like advance notice. The first is the Worcester Musical Theatre Company. They're presenting an evening, an amazing evening, it says, of entertainment full of inspiring songs, spectacular dance and laugh-out-loud comedy. It's called Moving On Up. And this is going to take place from Tuesday the 7th of November to Saturday the 11th in the evening, 7.30pm, 
Although on the Saturday there is a matinee performance at 2.30pm and the main performance is at 7pm. For bookings, pop into the box office at Huntington Hall or call on 01905 611427 or online at www.worcestertheatres.co.uk. And again, I don't really mention the Christmas word, but after Christmas, the Swan Theatre are putting on the Kays Theatre Group uh, Rapunzel, their um, pantomime for the season. And that's going to run from the 25th of January to the 4th of February. And they are recommending people get online or phone the box office to book their tickets as they will be going quite quickly, I think. So the box office number 01905 611427. And last but not least, something to tempt your taste buds. The BBC Good Food Show Winter Edition will take place at the NEC Birmingham this November. There'll be a host of celebrity chefs and food experts sharing their secrets, cooking tips and favourite festive recipes on the live cooking stages. Visitors can also witness mouth-watering demonstrations oh, I'm getting hungry, and engage in insightful Q&A sessions with them too. The four-day event will take place from November the 23rd and for further information visit www.bbcgoodfoodshow.com slash winter and book your tickets with prices starting from £25. Right, back to the main headline news and Phil's going to run through all the different headlines for the week and then start with, I think it's last Friday's, isn't it? It is indeed. Friday, October the 6th, a child could have died. Fury as cubs found walking alone on dangerous road in the dark. Saturday, boy hit by car, lucky to be alive. Four-year-old struck while crossing road, dangerous junction. Monday the 9th, parents call police as mum discovers gun in son's room. Tuesday, arson arrest after house fire, man taken to hospital for treatment. Wednesday, Riverside sex attacker is jailed for life. And following that on the Thursday, why was he let out? Shocked neighbours speak out following Riverside sex attacker sentencing. Okay, let's move on to that story on Friday, the 6th of October. A child could have died, uproar as cubs found alone on road at night. Parents said a child could have been killed after a group of cubs were found wandering along a dangerous road in the dark without an adult in sight. One horrified parent said she only found out what had happened when her child returned home from a 10th Worcester cub group upset. Another said he was extremely angry and the cub leaders had made a massive error. However, the scouts said Monday's hike was fully risk assessed and children's safety was its number one priority. Resident Simon Middleweek said he was forced to step in after seeing a group of, in quotations, 20 to 30 children attempting to navigate Crown East Lane in Upper Broadheath. He said the children were trying to get from the scout hut near St Thomas Church to Elgar's birthplace but lost their way. Cub groups include children aged 7 to 10. He went on, they were trying to dodge the traffic in the rain and with no adults with them. I went out and used one of their radios to speak to someone and a few minutes later a girl came running down the road. These young kids have been put at risk. They have been let down by the people who should be looking after them. It was very irresponsible. Jeremy Wilkinson, whose son aged 10 was on the hike, said he was extremely angry when he found out what had happened. We weren't told they would be on their own, he said. 
We assumed there would have been leaders with each pack. I wanted to have been out there helping them. Some of the children are as young as seven and it's a very fast road. They've made a massive error and there's been no explanation. Another parent who did not wish to be named said, we haven't received an apology, haven't been invited to a meeting to discuss what happened and haven't been told how things will be put right. A child could have been killed on that road. I'm horrified what happened to some of our children. There wasn't a leader in sight. Thank heavens for Simon. If he hadn't noticed the children, anything could have happened. The only reason I know about it was my child being upset once he'd returned home, having been told off by the leaders for not using their radio and messing about on the road. Had an adult been present, it wouldn't have happened. I honestly think a child could have been killed. A scout spokesperson said the Cubs were undertaking an activity to develop navigation skills. The event had been fully risk assessed and the Cubs had access to torches, high-vis jackets and direct radio contact to volunteer leaders who were waiting at the next meeting spot a short distance away. After a misunderstanding with a local resident, the young people contacted the leaders and met up with them a short time later. The safety of our young people in our care is our number one priority at Scouts and we can confirm parental consent and all risk assessments were in place for the activity, thus ensuring the young people were safe and appropriately equipped throughout the session. This one is from Saturday, October the 7th. Boy hit by car, lucky to be alive. A four-year-old boy is lucky to be alive after he was hit by a car whilst crossing a busy road in Worcester. He was struck by the car by crossing Bromyard Road in St John's in Worcester near the junction with Broadway Grove. However, despite his miracle escape from serious injury, he did not uh, escape unscathed in an incident which shocked the community in St John's and Dines Green. The boy discovered, suffered bruisings and soreness to his legs, a swollen ear, a bruised cheek and a scratch to his lower back, but no broken bones. Both his parents are urging drivers to take more care at the junction and not to be tempted to run red lights so that no other children are hurt or killed. The boy was hit by the car whilst crossing Bromyard Road, after he pushed the button and waited for the green man to light up. He was with his 30-year-old mum at the time, who said the green man was illuminated, indicating it was safe to cross. While in the road, he was struck at about 10 to 15 miles an hour by the driver who was heading straight on up the hill towards the bypass. He said he was behind another driver turning right into Broadway Grove. My son would never have crossed the road without the green man being there, said his mum, who did not wish to be identified. She added, I was so scared. We took him to hospital in Worcester and they said he was very lucky. He just came away with a few bruises. I keep reliving it in my head, but I shall always stay positive just for him. If I stay positive for him, I know everything is going to be fine and I just hope people learn from this, especially when there's kids crossing the road, at least so drivers can be extra vigilant. Describing the situation as her worst nightmare, she added, this is a dangerous area. That junction is awful. People around here drive so fast it's unreal. They skip the red lights all the time. I just want people to take more care at the junction so it doesn't happen to another family and I'm just happy he's OK. He bounced back.
His 27-year-old dad heard a scream and came as quickly as he could. He's a very lucky boy. He said the driver who's hit his son, who stopped at the junction, said he'd been confused at the junction after going through a red light. Please be careful, drivers. With young kids crossing the road, it's not worth any risk. A spokesman for the West Midlands Ambulance Service said we were called to an RTC, a road traffic situation, at 5.58, but were then told to stand down prior to arrival as no longer required. And the headline for Monday, the Octo- Monday October the 9th, Parents call police as mum discovers gun in son's room. The parents of a teenage drug dealer called police after his mum found a gun in his bedroom. Owen Walker's mother found the modified pistol in a bag wrapped in a towel while she was cleaning his bedroom in Green Lane, Worcester. She called Walker's dad, who was with his son at the time, bringing him home before police arrested him in December last year. The gun was seized and a mobile phone with messages linking him to drug dealing was also found. Despite Walker's arrest, the now 20-year-old was then caught red-handed less than eight months later, drug dealing in Worcester while carrying a knife. He was yesterday jailed for seven years at Worcester Crown Court. Lee Egan, prosecuting, said that on June the 21st, another search of Walker's home was carried out. During that search, a large knife, a machete, a mallet and cocaine and heroin were discovered. Mr Egan said nitrous oxide canisters were found too, while on his phone was a video of Walker and friends using the canisters. On June the 27th, police were called to a report of drug dealing taking place near Gillam Street, Worcester. Worcester Crown Court was told that Walker was arrested there and he had on him 15 wraps of cocaine and a large lock knife, as well as hundreds of pounds in cash. Two mobiles were also seized from the defendant, again linking him to drug dealing. And during another search of his home, a bag containing 24 grams of cannabis was discovered. Lee Masters, defending, said Walker had become addicted to drugs and built up debts, paying them back through working for those above him in the chain. He said the defendant bitterly regretted being sucked into a life he had seen as the gangster lifestyle. Mr Masters said Walker... Walker's family had no hesitation in doing the right thing and calling police when the gun was found. He added that Walker had had already weaned himself off drugs in custody and is working towards getting a legitimate job when he leaves, as he wants to ensure it will be the last time he appears before a court. Walker, who had no previous convictions, lost his good character by admitting possessions of a firearm, possessing ammunition for a firearm without a certificate, possessing a psychoactive substance, nitrous oxide, with intent to supply, possessing with intent to supply Class A drugs, cocaine and diamorphine, possessing with intent to supply a controlled drug of Class B, cannabis, and possessing a knife, blade, sharp-pointed article in a public place. Sentencing him, Judge Nicholas Cartwright said, Walker had been immature and should have engaged with police in his first arrest. The judge told Walker he's young and after leaving prison will have a choice of a fruitful, law-abiding life or to engage in serious crime. I can't make the choice for you, the judge added.
which brings us to Tuesday, and that was the 10th. Uh, the headline was Arson Arrest After House Fire. Man is hurt in house fire. A man has been arrested on suspicion of arson following a house fire in a quiet city road. And a man was taken to hospital following that fire, with firefighters told people were inside the property. Police, fire engines and ambulance were called to the fire in Witch Elm Close yesterday afternoon. That would be Monday. It is the third blaze in the small room off London Road within three months. A spokesman from West Midlands Ambulance Services said, We were called to the reports of a property fire at 1.02pm. An ambulance and a paramedic officer attended the scene, and on arrival, we discovered one male patient who was treated for injuries, although they're not believed to be serious, before being taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service crews from Worcester Fire Station were called at the same time to a report of a fire with persons reported inside the home. A spokesperson said, A fire was discovered on the first floor of a detached house and this was fought using two hose reel jets by four firefighters wearing breathing apparatus. Two further firefighters, also in apparatus, carried out damping down and turning over. The utilities were isolated. All persons were accounted for, and one adult male was handed over to the care of the ambulance service. At 2pm, there were two fire engines, an ambulance, an ambulance car and a police van, and two police cars. Due to the narrowness of the road, some of the vehicles couldn't get in and parked on London Road. The ambulance and car left at 2.05 before police left the scene five minutes later. At around 2.30, there was only one fire engine left, with a pump running into the property. The front door and windows were open there, and they'd been cordoned off. It is the third time emergency services have attended the road to deal with a fire within weeks. On July 21st, firefighters went out early in the morning to put out a fire in a single-storey wooden outbuilding, and on that occasion, one man was treated by paramedics at the scene. And on September the 26th, a man managed to escape the blaze in a bedroom of a home. He was assessed at the scene by paramedics before being discharged. Now, um, the next thing is just to advise that the next two headline stories contain material that some of our listeners may find distressing. One is that a Riverside sex attacker is jailed for life, and that's the headline on Wednesday, October the 11th. A sex attacker has been jailed for life for a barbaric assault on an elderly woman on a city Riverside path. Worcester Crown Court heard knife-wielding Anthony Roberts had been released five months before the attack, in which he stabbed a 71-year-old woman 50 times, despite a report saying he posed an imminent risk to women. The tearful victim bravely read out her statement to the court, saying she would have long-lasting scars from the attack in which she thought she'd die. The court heard Roberts of Greenhill was released on licence for another attempted murder before he carried out the shocking attack at 1.30am on Sunday, May the 7th in Cleve Walk, Worcester. Worcester Crown Court heard the victim had been walking home with a friend and the pair separated. Raj Punia, prosecuting, said, What happened to the victim was every woman's worst nightmare. She saw a male, the prosecutor said, he was topless, he was lurking. The prosecutor said the victim had tried to walk faster before Roberts came up from behind, putting his arms across her throat. He said, I'm going to kill you, the prosecutor said.
She described a ferocious attack which included sexual assault and slashing her clothes with a knife. Roberts then delivered multiple stab wounds with a five-inch kitchen knife. In desperation at one point, the victim tried to call the police on her mobile that the phone slipped from her bloody hand. He took the throne and threw it in the river, the prosecutor said. He told her, you're wasting your breath, no one is coming. A nearby witness heard deathly screams before calling the police who arrived within minutes. Officers with tasers chased Roberts, who was carrying the bloody knife, before arresting him. The court heard the victim suffered more than 70 separate stab wounds, any of which were millimetres away from killing her. After being taken to Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham, the victim was operated on for 10 hours to close her wounds. During a later search of Robert's property, pornography of an extreme nature depicting violence against women was found, as well as a near-empty bottle of vodka. And in a note found, Roberts had written, women deserve to get what's coming to them. The victim courageously read out her personal statement from the witness box and in it she said if Roberts was ever allowed to wander the streets again, she would find it impossible to leave her home. I do not want this man to have a lasting effect on me, she said. The injuries he inflicted are life-changing, but I refuse to let him impact me any more than absolutely necessary. Roberts had earlier pleaded guilty to attempted murder, sexual assault and possession of a bladed article in a public place at Birmingham Crown Court in May. The court heard he had six previous convictions for 12 offences. Six of them were of a sexual nature, four were for violence. A parole board report in 2021 found Roberts posed an imminent risk to women, but it emerged he had been released five months before the attack from a life sentence for attempting to murder a 16-year-old girl with a knife and wounding a 19-year-old woman in an underpass at Rubri in 1990. The court heard among the sexual offences was in 1984 he had exposed himself to a 15-year-old girl in Hampton. Sentencing Roberts, the Honourable Mrs Justice Naomi Ellenblogan said... As a result of your barbaric attack, she's confined to her home. All spontaneity is gone from her life. She said Roberts, who appeared on video link, possessed a significant risk of serious harm to women. She jailed Roberts for life with a minimum term of 28 years of nine months. There is no guarantee you will be released after that minimum term or at any time afterwards, the judge added. And the headline for Thursday, October the 12th, continues this story. Why was he let out? Shocked neighbours speak out following Riverside sex attacker sentencing. And inevitably there is some repeat information in this article. Why was he let out? That is the question shocked residents are asking after it was revealed they were unwittingly living near a vicious attacker who posed a serious threat to women. A 2019 report warned Anthony Roberts posed a risk of harm specific to females aged 16 to 30 and of serious injury and potential death of any female victim. Despite this, Roberts was living on quiet Green Hill, Bath Road, near Worcester City Centre, 
when he tried to kill a pensioner in a barbaric riverside knife attack, much to the horror of his oblivious neighbours. It emerged at Robert's sentencing hearing he had been released five months earlier from a life sentence for attempting to murder a 16-year-old girl with a knife and woman wounding a woman aged 19 in an underpass in Rubery near Birmingham in 1990. Numerous previous convictions dating back to 1982, 1983, 1984 and 1985 included sexual and indecent exposure offences involving a child, a teenager and a woman using a phone box. It was revealed during the sentence Roberts had been released five months before his attack on the 71-year-old woman in which she was stabbed 50 times, despite the report stating he posed an imminent risk to women. A neighbour said, It was shocking when I heard about it, while another called what had happened appalling. Another resident living in the area said, Residents didn't know him, he'd only been there a little while. A search of his property uncovered diaries that detailed sexual fantasies and entries stating that women did not like Roberts and that he should not trust them. It's also been revealed that there was unspecified Jack the Ripper material, which had notes in it, while pornography was being streamed on a television at his home. Worcester MP Robin Walker said he'll be raising with the Ministry of Justice why a career criminal was allowed to leave prison before carrying out a barbaric attack. Mr Walker said... If there is a risk to the public, serious offenders should not be let out. The challenge for the probation service is an offender cannot prove they are rehabilitated until they prove they are on release. Please note, we previously reported Roberts was jailed for life with a minimum term of 28 years and nine months. So that concludes the um, week's headline stories and now we'll carry on with Phil reading the first of a series from the main paper. Yes, let's do that. And this one is from Monday's paper and the headline is Quick Turnaround as New Store Opens. A new discount store on Worcester's High Street enjoyed a busy morning as it opened its door for the first time to customers. They were greeted at the doors as the new Poundland store opened at 8am on Saturday morning. It's been a quick turnaround at the store after Poundland owner Pepco agreed to buy up 71 Wilco stores, including Worcester's, following the collapse of that chain last month. Poundland in the Shambles closed in March 2020, while the city's second store in Broad Street remains closed as building work continues to make the structure safe. Alex Ward, store manager of the new shop, told us everything had gone well with the opening. He said, Customer response to Poundland coming back to Worcester has been extremely positive from the outset. After a period of almost three years, we're delighted to welcome customers back into our newly refitted store. Mr Ward told us the store is employing 16 staff to run the shop between the hours of 8 in the morning and 6 in the evening, Monday to Saturday, and on Sundays from 10.30 to 4.30. He added, At the moment, we're concentrating on our core Poundland range, but also with the exciting line of Pepco fashion for women and children. One of the first customers, Stephen Atwood, who lives in Warnden, said it was good to see a shop not sitting empty after the collapse of Wilco. High streets have been struggling, he said. We have usually had to go to the Malvern one. It's a big store. I'm glad it's open here. It didn't take them long to get it open. We had a look round the store, finding a mix of confectionery, clothing, electrical items, household and kitchen items, as well as children's toys. And the store even has sections dedicated to Halloween and Christmas. 
Customers are also likely to notice the change in layout from the previous Wilco, with tills now on the right-hand side of the unit, at the front instead of at the back. And I suppose we ought to say that other retail outlets are available. And this is um, a story about the same thing, actually. But city firms are owed thousands by Wilco. Worcester companies that make fire safety equipment and cleaning products are among those owed (coughs) money by Wilco. Documents released by the collapsed high streets chain administrators reveals it owes one hundred and fifty seven thousand two hundred and sixty one. Um, I'm not sure that that's correct, but to its creditors, it's an extremely long number, but it doesn't seem correct. Um, administrators were called in early in August after the chain, which employed 12,500 staff and ran 400 shops across Britain came under pressure. Administrators administrators at PwC were forced to sell off Wilco's assets after failing to secure a rescue deal and Pepco, the owner of discount retailer Poundland, struck the deal to buy 71 Wilco stores while the range agreed to a deal to buy Wilco's brand for about £5 million. Wolster's Wilco closed on Sunday, September the 17th and reopened as a Poundland on Saturday, October the 7th. Poundland is also taking over the Droitwich Wilco, which closed last month, while the future of the Morven stores has been the subject of speculation following Wilco's departure. The Worcestershire companies that are owed money by Wilco include Compco Fire Systems, which is owned, which is owed seventy-three thousand two hundred and fifty-seven pounds. Mapper Spondex, a Worcester firm that makes cleaning cloths and sponges, is owed one hundred and fifty-two thousand four hundred and twenty-three. Garden furniture supplier Gablemere, based in Kidderminster, is owed two hundred and sixty-nine pounds. And brush manufacturer L.G. Harris of Stoke Prior is owed £74,058 and grass seed supplier D.L.F. Trifolium, based in Inkbarrow, is owed 59321 Some companies are owed millions of pounds, so the original price up there, which I could not believe, which said £157 million, is possibly right. And Drax Energy Solutions, which Wilco is listed as owing 2.5 million. TS UK Limited, which is owed more than 4 million. And Procter & Gamble, which is owed more than 8.8 million. The retailer, which had been a fixture on British high streets for 93 years, shut the last of its stores last weekend. And Jane Steer, joint administrator, said... Wilco will be greatly missed on the high street and by everyone involved with the business. We are immensely grateful for the dedication shown and values demonstrated by team members during this very difficult time. New town plans revealed. So, new details about plans to build a new 10,000 home town on the outskirts of the city have been revealed. The huge new town would be built next to Worcestershire Parkway Station, around three miles from Worcester. The homes would be built in the next 30 years, with the first 5,000 homes expected to be finished by 2041. A group of landowners and housing developers have joined forces 
and launched a month-long public consultation, which runs until Monday, November the 6th, asking for views on its plans to build thousands of new homes, schools, leisure and community facilities, shops, parks and a major new link road. Housing developer St Modwin will be building 1,250 new homes and providing 1 million square feet of employment space, as well as a primary school and an orchard as part of its Woodhall neighbourhood. Summick St Homes, England, are set to build the new town centre as part of the first phase of the huge development. The plans include 3,700 homes, healthcare services, schools, a community park, a new link road from the A44, as well as landmark buildings, all of which would be built by 2041. Wayne Estates will create a southern gateway which includes homes, a new primary school and shops. The work would also allow the Stolton Bypass Relief Road and a new solar farm to be built. Hallam Land Management and the Especially Estate plan to build 1,250 homes and 65 acres of employment land and developers Bellway and St Phillips also have plans to build new homes. A spokesperson for the New Settlements Combined Landowner Group said, We're very pleased to have been able to come together as a group of landowners and developers to engage with the local community in one go. A commitment to sustainability and community engagement must drive every aspect of a project which is fundamental to South Worcestershire's growth for the next three decades. Through a town centre-first approach, everyone involved in this new settlement is dedicated to creating a vibrant, inclusive and environmentally conscious new place and sustainable community to the benefit of new and existing residents in the county and beyond. The much-delayed and Covid-hit review of major planning blueprint, the South Worcestershire Development Plan, SWDP, has included a vision for a new town next to the multi-million pound Worcestershire Park Railway Station, which would see 5,000 new homes built in the next 20 years, with the possibility for 5,000 more thereafter. The plan is not expected to have been approved until 2025. For more information and to sign up for a public webinar on October the 17th, visit www.wpnewsettlement, or perhaps I should say new settlement, that would be better. So wpnewsettlement, all one word, .co.uk. A public event will be held between 2pm and 8pm at Norton Parish Hall on Thursday, October the 19th and between 12pm and 5pm at Drake's Broughton Village Hall on Saturday, November the 4th. Uh, here's a good story from Wednesday's newspaper and the headline is New 3.2 million facility opens at college. That's £3.2 million. Pounds. A £3.2 million science extension that has got four new laboratories, prep rooms and classroom space was opened at Worcester Sixth Form College. Dr Beth Jones, NHS doctor and college alumni, unveiled a new build on October the 6th with staff and students joined by governors, trustees and contractors. There's a lovely big photo of Dr Beth Jones doing that, cutting a ribbon, lots of white and blue balloons knocking around. Following the official opening, Dr Jones delivered a talk to science students about the importance of science, her career path and the research she undertook, which was responsible for saving many lives during the early stages of the pandemic. Bosses say that capital projects such as this, such as this have enabled the college to respond to a significant increase in the demand for places, 
with a 27% increase in those opting to study science subjects over the last four years. Some 615 students will now directly benefit from being able to use the new rooms. Completion of the project also allows old labs to be transformed into facilities for students of other subjects. The college has already been able to repurpose one of those into a specialist media room and a second into a clinical skills room in preparation for the introduction of the health T-level next year. Ed Senior, principal, said, As the college celebrates its 40th anniversary of educating and supporting students, I am excited by the opportunities this gives us to improve the experiences of our students to inspire them as to where science can take them. I'm grateful to the college's governors and trustees from the heart of Mercia Multi-Academy Trust for their vision and generosity in supporting this development. I'm also grateful to those who worked with us to ensure the project was completed on time and to budget, in particular Spella Metcalf. The expansion of our science facilities will enable us to expand our already extensive links with STEM employers in the area and this will enrich the experience of students taking science subjects at the college. Now sadly it doesn't say what the acronym STEM stands for but I'm pretty sure that it's science technology, something that begins with an E, and maths. I'm looking round the table. <laughs> is it? No, is it English, perhaps? Engineering? Mm. No, engineering, I think. OK, well, we pass we'll on that one. Mark Hudgen, Regional Director at Spell of Metcalf, said, We are delighted to be able to hand over the final stage of this block extension and its current and future students. STEM subjects are pivotal to our future workforce, something we all know too well in construction and it's great to see the importance the college is placing on developing those key skills and providing modern facilities in which to teach students. Thursday October the 12th ex-firefighter sets up a cafe in the garden. He has gone from putting out flames to serving cakes and coffee after opening a new cafe from a city pub's garden. Carl Pearson spent 30 years as a firefighter before retiring and setting up cafe at BB from the Bull Baiters Inn in the garden at St John's and it's allowed the 53-year-old to sell various drinks and cakes from a unit in their garden. Essentially, I'm a retired firefighter who wanted a challenge. I've no background in hospitality, but I'm learning as I go. This is a totally different industry. We've so far been open two days, and I've taken it in my stride and enjoyed it. In fire, you need to have good people skills, which is transferable. Cafe at BB provides a special service which allows customers to have pictures of themselves, friends or pets on their hot drinks. After retiring from Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service, Mr Pearson visited the Guinness factory in Ireland and was amazed at how they could print faces onto a drink. It led him to go home and purchase his own machine, which spurred him to open his cafe and launch Drink Topper UK. I can do selfies, words and emojis onto lattes or whatever anyone asks for, I can do. It puts a smile on faces. The ink is completely edible and he said the process of printing on drinks has not yet properly reached the UK. And there's a picture on the side of legends born in October and what looks to be a latte. Since opening officially on Monday, October the 9th, Mr Pearson said the feedback to his and the bull baiters in collaboration has been well received. Certainly, customers absolutely love the garden 
It's a large space in the centre of St John's. There have been chats on socials which say it's fantastic and they can't wait to come. He hopes to expand the space to different groups like mother and baby or reading groups. The Bullbaiters Inn opened its doors in 2016 and was Worcester's first micro-pub. Landlord Chris Hankins, aged 64, who was born and bred in St John's, went back to basics with the establishment and it serves local cask-conditioned real ales and ciders. Right. Well, before I get on to the next story, I would like to just let our readers know that STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering and Mathematics. So this story, I have to say, has the merest, most tenuous link to Worcester, but I read it and thought I have to share it with everyone because it's just good fun. So a tuna was followed up the M5 past Worcester by scientists after a tourist accidentally took it home. Researchers at the University of Exeter had tagged the Atlantic bluefin tuna off Plymouth in Devon a few weeks ago as part of a research project. However, researchers were confused to find that the giant fish was travelling on the M5 on its way to Birmingham. It had turned out that Brian Shuttleworth, who was on holiday in Cornwall at the time, had discovered the tag washed up on the beach amongst seaweed and decided to take it home to Lancashire. The tag had managed to safely detach itself from the fish, which led led to it being washed up in Whitsand Bay. He said, we were holidaying in Cornwall and we'd gone down onto the beach and were just walking along. The tide had started to come in and I saw it in amongst a load of seaweed. I recognised what it looked like, detangled it and put it in my pocket, with every intention to ring the phone number in tiny writing on it. However, due to other life commitments, Mr Shuttleworth had forgotten to do it. Only after the PhD students checked their GPS location beacon did they realise the tag was on the move up north. Dr Lucy Hawkes, one of the leaders of the tuna tagging project, said These tags collect very detailed information, but they only transmit their location. To get the rest of the data, we have to recover the tags. They're designed to fall off the tuna after about six days. And obviously, we can't control where the tuna goes, so the tags can be hard to recover. We've deployed 20 to 30 tags over five years and recovered eight so far. The tags are incredibly useful for our work, so I wasn't ready to give up on this one. We assumed someone had picked the tag up from the beach and driven home from their holiday. The university team quickly launched an appeal to recover the tag and went to local radio stations hoping a listener could have picked it up. Mr Shuttleworth heard the end of the broadcast and called into BBC Radio Lancashire to reveal he was the one to pick the device up. The device has since been returned to Plymouth via mail, with researchers tracking its journey home the whole way. I think that's wonderful. (laughs) Um, I've got another shop opening story here about a festive city shop being back open. I went to York last week and I found three Christmas shops almost in the same street. Oh, they're they're not looking happy over here. I, I like Christmas shops. Anyway, get on with it, I will. Christmas has come early to the city centre. That's our city centre here in Worcester. With a family-run festive shop returning for the first time since the pandemic after moving to new premises. Country Christmas, that's the name of it, has opened again in Worcester's High Street for the first time since 2020. The shop's owned by husband and wife Derek and Mary Askew and their son Simon. And Mr Askew said he was looking forward to the season and is pleased to be back on the high street. 
Despite the cost of living crisis, Mr Askew said businesses hadn't been slow, business hadn't been slow and people were spending money in the store. He added that despite nationwide concerns over a drop in footfall on the high street, the competition for renting commercial property was still strong and he was pleased to have secured a spot on the high street. The family used to sell their products at Worcester Victorian Christmas Fair, but have now moved into the high street and will be open until Christmas Day. They have sold their Christmas products at markets in London and Scotland in the past, as they previously focused on attending various trade shows. Their range of, pro- range of products includes a large array of tree decorations, handmade wreaths created by Mrs Askew, and a number of other festive decorations. The unit has previously been occupied by two seasons and was most recently home to Mode Clothing Store. The shop's opening later in the year than it previously did, having opened in August in 2020. And Mr Askew said he is hoping for a busy start to sales as a result. And we should point out that other Christmas stores are no doubt available. Mm, Yes. And this is a story from Thursday. October 12th, the region's emergency services have objected against a plan to build a food waste recycling centre next to their countryside headquarters. West Mercia Police, Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service and Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion have joined together in submitting objections over a proposed food waste recycling site a stone's throw from their Hindlip Park headquarters. The anaerobic digestion facility would process around 48,500 tonnes of food waste every year and convert it into gas that can then be used to heat homes and businesses under plans by Stenergy. In its objection, West Mercia Police said it feared that impurities from biogas created at the recycling centre could contaminate evidence and jeopardise court cases involving some of the county's worst crimes. The force also feared that the facility would prevent officers from training to use firearms because of the air quality. Training for police dogs, which requires spaces with no overwhelming odours, could also be put at risk by the recycling plant, West Mercia Police said. The emergency services said Hindlip Park should be viewed as a critical national infrastructure, comparing its importance to any other army or RAF base. Hindlip Park, which is home to police forensics operations, and communications and training centres, including firearms and police dogs, forms the joint base for the county's police and fire services and is home to 1,500 staff serving not only Worcestershire but Herefordshire, Shropshire and Telford and Rekin. Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion said it's disappointing to see that a planning application has been submitted for such a substantial site with no regard for how the work carried out there will impact on operational police and fire headquarters. Within our objection, we have made clear that we do not support these proposals unless clear evidence can be provided that would negate our concerns. The plan by Stenergy includes building several storage, digestion and water tanks as well as two new buildings for unpacking and pasteurising. A new access road would also be built from Hindlip Lane. 
The former Pershaw Agricultural College has been empty for more than two decades. An application to build a business park on the land was approved by Witchhaven District Council in 2014 and again in 2018, but despite most of the older buildings being demolished, the work was never finished. Coffee time. Biscuit time. Sport and... Um, Shall I go? go? Yep. A popular radio presenter has signed off from his BBC Hereford and Worcester show for the last time. Malcolm Boyden presented his last mid-morning programme on the radio station today. Well, it's not today, obviously, but on Friday, October the 6th. At the end of his show, Boyden joked that he was holding a lock-in and would carry on until Sunday. In an emotional ending, fellow presenter Tammy Gooding said, I think I speak for everyone when I say we love you, Malcolm, and we're going to miss you. Earlier in the morning, he had asked for no fireworks during his last show. Boyden told listeners on September the 27th that he would be leaving the radio station. Making the announcement live on air, he said, I'm really sorry to have to tell you this. It's been decided that I'll no longer be the presenter of your mid-morning show. I've said many hellos and many goodbyes, but I think this has to be the hardest one. Of course, you've heard about the changes to BBC Local Radio, and because of those changes, it's been decided that I'll no longer be presenting this show. show. How do I feel? Awful. It's been my pride and joy. However, it's been a real pleasure and a real joy. Another popular presenter, Andrew Easton, broadcast his final show for BBC Hereford and Worcester last Saturday. That was September the 30th. Boyden began his career in print journalism, first at the Redditch Indicator, where he won the Heart of England Sports Journalist Award in 1985. He also worked for the Daily Star and the Birmingham Daily News as a sports editor and for the Times and the Birmingham Mail as a columnist. Boyden's radio career included stints at BBC WM as well as BBC Hereford and Worcester. He was named UK Radio Personality of the Year in 1997 and a Bronze Broadcaster of the Year Award in 2001. Right. Uh, A story from Thursday's newspaper, City Event to Mark Black History Month. Worcester is to mark Black History Month with a special celebration event at the Guildhall on Saturday, October the 21st. The event is produced by Worcester City Council in conjunction with Worcester Anti-Racism Initiative, Worcester Afro-Caribbean Association and the Worcestershire Association of Igbos. The event, called Our Cultural Heritage, will see the building filled with history, art, music and food. Everyone is welcome to attend. The event will run between 11am and 3pm and people can drop in at any time. There will be displays of recent social history showing the black communities who are represented in Worcester as well as material from the more distant past from the Worcestershire archives. The event will be used to start a roll of honour collecting the stories and celebrating the contribution that individual black people have made to Worcester. Visitors will have the chance to try art workshops and enjoy music and dance performances, as well as trying food from different black communities. Anyone wishing to find out more or to get involved in the event should email community at worcester.gov.uk. Black History Month will also be marked by two other events in Worcester – an afternoon of talks and learning events at The Hive on October 14th and the Paint the Streets exhibition at the Museum and Art Gallery, which runs until Saturday, January the 6th 
2024. This is about community rallying to support a charity. An emergency fundraising organised after two minibuses for disabled people were trashed by vandals has now raised more than £1,000 as a charity shows its fighting spirit after the attacks. The two minibuses, owned by the Myriad Centre, were vital transport for disabled clients who use the service, some of whom can neither walk nor talk. Both specially adapted minibuses, which can hold six wheelchairs each, were attacked with their tyres slashed and windows broken over the weekend. The Myriad Centre has shown its fighting spirit after the minibus attacks and the people of Worcester have rallied behind the charity which helped some of the most vulnerable and profoundly disabled residents in the city. The minibuses had been parked behind locked gates outside Green Hill Lodge in Merriman's Hill Road when the attack took place at some point over the weekend. A third was being repaired and escaped unscathed in the rampage. The damage was discovered by horrified staff on Monday morning. The charity had only moved out of St George's Walk in Worcester into the temporary new home on Friday, while the old base is refurbished. An emergency appeal was launched by the charity and has so far raised £1,129 in the hope that funds can offset the damage. The charity stands to lose £40,000 in potential lost income if it cannot get the buses up and running again within two weeks. Hence the urgency. Chief Executive Richard Waitley said the support had been wonderful and had come from stakeholders, parents, families, staff and strangers who'd been moved by the plight of the charity. Sometimes it takes the worst side of human nature to bring out the best side, he said. Half of their clients were able to use the services on Wednesday, with parents having to use their own transport to get some of the service users to the centre. They managed to have a session of music therapy on Wednesday, which he said avoid the mood of service users and staff. We've got clients smiling again. Our general message is our fighting spirit is still here. They hope to get the two least damaged of the two minibuses up and running before the end of the week but the more badly damaged vehicle will take about two weeks to repair. The Myriad Centre provides essential respite care for young adults living with profound and multiple learning disabilities, PMLD. The spokesman for West Mercia Police said we've received a call this morning at about 6.45am with a report of vandalism at the Myriad Centre in Worcester. Offers, officers attended to find damage to two vehicles and the building. Investigations are now ongoing. A church in the heart of Worcester City Centre has officially reopened after a year-long closure. St Helens on the High Street is back open after it was closed to make way for a major reordering project. The church on Fish Street is a historic Grade Two listed building which is believed to be Worcester's oldest Christian site and Worcester's mother church since Saxon times. The project restored the church to its intended layout, giving an accessible and multifunctional space in the very centre of the city. Works carried out by Splitlath Building Conservation include a new purpose-built toilet extension and a new single-level sandstone stone floor with underfloor heating laid throughout. 
A new ramp from the south porch has also been installed, further improving accessibility, and the kitchen facilities have been relocated to a smart servery in the space beneath the tower. The changes to the site were made possible due to funding from the church's commissioners and visitors were welcomed to the grand opening on Tuesday, October the 3rd by the Right Reverend Dr John Inge, Bishop of Worcester. St Helens is part of the parish of All Saints Worcester and the Vicar of All Saints Worcester, Reverend Dr Rich Johnson, said We are delighted to have been able to contribute to the legacy of the oldest church in Worcester in making the building fit for purpose for church and community in the present day and look forward to seeing all that will happen in and through the space in the future. As well as hosting lively Sunday evening worship gatherings, St Helens is the base for All Saints Worcester's midweek activities, including toddler groups, creative arts groups and alpha courses. Right. Bridge work a step nearer. And the bridge that's referred to is the pedestrian and cyclist bridge, which is going to take us from Gellivelt Park across the river to St John's. Vital parts of the Keepax Bridge, which will span the River Severn, have now arrived on site and the project begins to take shape. The Keepax Bridge beams have arrived at Gellivelt Park in Barbourne, bringing the finished product one step nearer. The beams have been lifted off the delivery vehicle onto temporary trestles and will be craned into position later this year. The project, which will provide a route for pedestrians and cyclists, will link Gellivelt Park to the old Keepax landfill site in St John's. Other photos show that parts of the bridge which were being transported were wider than the trucks, with the drivers carefully navigating Waterworks Road. That can't have been easy. Construction of foot and cycleways leading up to where the bridge would be on both sides of the Seven took place in May this year, while work to build the bases of the bridge took place in August. A spokesperson for Worcester County Council has described the bridge as, quote, a welcome addition to the popular riverside route allowing users to enjoy a figure of eight route along the River Severn. The route will take in Diglis Bridge, which is over three million users since it opened in 2010, in the south, to the recently refurbished Sabrina Bridge near the city centre. In other words, other bridges are available. And this new bridge in the north and back again. It'll be a wonderful walk. In March, the County Council's project manager for the bridge, Mark Mills, said recent work on the site... Uh, has focused on the construction of new foot and cycleways leading up to where the bridge will be positioned. New temporary access roads have been constructed and preparatory works have taken place ahead of foundation works. The bridge product, project I should say, is expected to be completed in 2024. An MP spoke for her dismay over delays as villagers face another potential winter of flooding. West Worcestershire MP Harriet Baldwin shared her dismay following a confirmation that the permanent flood defence scheme in Seven Stoke is facing further delays. The work on the £1.8 million flood defences is designed to protect the flood-hit village as part of an environment agency alleviation scheme to protect homes and businesses. Work had been due to start on the next stage of the project this month. However, the Seven Stoke flood bund delay has now caused dismay after a row between the contractors and the Environment Agency.
Negotiations have broken down between the Environment Agency and the proposed contractor, which was expected to build the site this autumn, and work has now been shelved until a new team can be found to carry out the work. Mrs Baldwin was briefed on the further delay, and the Environment Agency is planning to offer meetings with local stakeholders later this month to discuss the delays. The agency hopes to have an alternative plan in place shortly to allow construction work to start next spring. Mrs Baldwin said the Environment Agency team attended a public meeting in Sevenstoke in July and they told villagers they were confident that a contractor had been agreed. But clearly, things have gone badly wrong since. I'm dismayed at the lack of progress, but most troubling is the fact that people who have homes and businesses in Sevenstoke are going to have to face up to another winter where there is a risk of flooding. And the contract to carry out the work is due to be advertised soon, and I've asked the team running the project to do everything they can to get a supplier in place. I'm planning to share my concerns about the agency's purchasing process with ministers, but right now we need solutions. We've always known that this was going to be a complicated scheme to deliver, but all eyes will now be on the Environment Agency to get this scheme done and quickly. We have approached the Environment Agency for a comment, but obviously they have not said anything, because there's nothing underneath it. (laughs) Illegal tobacco was found hidden inside a secret wall compartment, thanks to a dog with a nose for trouble as the cigarettes are catalogued ready for a potential prosecution. We can now reveal details of the case as police officers and trading standards officers work together to seize the tobacco and vapes in Malvern Link, with more than a little help from a four-legged detective. Malvern Cops, part of West Mercia Police and Trading Standards, carried out their investigations, but it was ultimately a sniffer dog from BWY Canine Limited that found the illegal tobacco and vapes hidden inside a wall in a shop in Malvern Link. This is what is expected to happen next, after the Malvern police raid uncovered hidden tobacco concealed in a secret compartment. The cigarettes seized included Richmond and Marlborough and West Mercia officers were pictured carrying large, clear plastic bags containing hundreds of packs of confiscated evidence. And, and now a file of evidence is being prepared. A spokesperson for Trading Standards said Worcestershire Trading Standards visited a shop in Malvern Link and were assisted by West Mercia Police and specialist tobacco detection dogs from BWY Canine Limited. The illicit tobacco and illegal vapes found on site are in the process of being catalogued. Further inquiries are commencing and following these, an evidence file will be submitted. The Worcester News understands no arrests were made and the illegal tobacco and vapes were found by the dog handler present, whose experience in locating such concealments. This is a a story about St John's Library. Meeting on library plans, it's headed. A public meeting is being called to discuss proposed changes to St John's Library. The County Council is planning to make St John's a part of its Libraries Unlocked scheme, which means that it will be open for longer hours, but also means that it will be unstaffed for parts of the day. The Friends of St John's Library, that's capital F, Friends of St John's Library, are inviting members of the public to a meeting on Monday, October the 16th at 6pm at St John's Church in Bromyard Road. Emily Keenan from the Friends Group said, 
We are aware of a huge amount of concern about the changes which are proposed for our library through Libraries Unlocked, with implementation expected in January 2024. We are concerned about the lack of information currently available to the community and the failure of the County Council to engage library users on the proposed changes. The Friends believe that the, pro that the proposals will include a decrease in hours the library is staffed from 48 hours a week to 22 and a half, an increase in open hours of the library in an unstaffed capacity, installation of equipment and surveillance to support the above, under-16s being unable to access the library at unstaffed hours, all library users needing a face-to-face -face induction to upgrade their membership for continued library use. She added, We have invited the County Council Libraries, Archive and Archaeology Service to come to the meeting to present their proposals and hear any questions and concerns held directly from the community. We want to hear from local residents and hear their views, collate their concerns and inform the County Council about the strength of local opinion. Whether you can or can't attend, please complete our survey. That is quite a long and complex URL, so here we go. All small case, https colon forward slash forward slash www.surveymonkey.co.uk forward slash r, small case r, forward slash capital letters n g k g 78 capital P, which will give us information to reflect the views of the community to the council. Councillor Udall said, so far 1,500 people have signed a petition against libraries unlocked. It's clear local residents are not keen to see these changes. Like me, they believe libraries need librarians. I extend a personal invitation to Councillor Marcus Hart, Deputy Leader of the County Council and Cabinet Member responsible for libraries, to attend this meeting. He needs to hear the views and concerns of residents and be accountable for his decisions. I hope he will attend. I promise him a warm welcome to St John's. Councillor Hart has previously said the scheme, which was planned to be rolled out in the autumn, quote, means we are able to keep our libraries open for longer hours, which gives much more flexibility for visitors. Mm. Mm. And this is about an inquest being put back as the jurors have been hit by COVID, or COVID, depending on how you pronounce it, um, which proves it hasn't gone away. The inquest into the death of a 20-year-old woman has been delayed until next year after a number of jurors tested positive for COVID-19. The inquest into the death of Rosie Young from Bewdley was supposed to enter its second week on Monday, October the 9th, but has now been postponed because of an outbreak of COVID-19 among the jury. By law, inquests that require a jury must be held in front of at least seven people. The inquest, which began on October the 2nd at Worcestershire's Coroner's Court in Starport, was due to last two weeks. The delay means a new jury will have to be selected and the inquest will have to start again from the beginning with witnesses who've already given evidence record for a second time. Worcestershire's senior coroner, David Reid, said the new inquest would not begin until January the 29th next year. I'm very sorry indeed, the coroner said. I don't think we have any alternative. 
Several witnesses, including paramedics, were due to give evidence on Monday, with two expert witnesses expected to be called on Tuesday. The inquest had already heard how the trainee paramedic died after suffering serious injuries after jumping from a moving ambulance travelling between Worcester and Redditch in November 2021. Ms Young, who had been diagnosed with emotionally unstable personality disorder, also known as borderline personality disorder, had a long-standing history of self-harm and suicide attempts and had been sectioned several times under the Mental Health Act. In the days before her death, Ms Young was admitted to hospital after overdosing on a prescription drug and attempting suicide several times while there. A few days later, while she was due to be discharged from hospital, Ms Young dislocated her shoulder while moving a chair and was forced to remain in the hospital to prepare for surgery. She then fled the hospital again, but was later returned after being found by police and sectioned. Ms Young was then moved from Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester to the Alexandra Hospital in Redditch, where she jumped out of the moving ambulance during the trip. She was taken to Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham with serious injuries. A new boozy book club is set to open in Worcester later this month, offering book lovers an exciting cocktail evening with author John Crawshaw. The event will take place at the Script Haven on High Street, run by former Worcestershire Poet Laureate Lena Batchelor. John Crawshaw will be showcasing his debut romance novel, The Swing, on October the 26th, with a handcrafted cocktail available too while readers soak up the atmosphere. It will be the third boozy book club to take place in the West Midlands since being launched by the marketing company Talking Toy Toys. The event was created by mum of three, Jessica Blith Sweetingham, to offer a platform to independent authors from across the region. Our recent events in Ulster and in Stratford-upon-Avon have been an incredible success and the feedback was phenomenal. We expect the venue in Worcester to be a brilliant host for the club, said Mrs Blith Sweetingham. Tickets for the Boozy Book Club at the venue are now on sale, with the first meeting taking place on Thursday, October the 26th. Ticket holders will receive a copy of The Swing and a handcrafted cocktail. This month's book, which is to be presented, is more than symbolic for the Ulster author John, as not only will it mark his success in writing his first novel, but also in battling dyslexia throughout his life. I'm looking forward to being the door opener for the Boozy Book Club in Worcester, which I believe is to become a great success and a lot of joy, said John. Tickets for the event are on sale now at www.eventbrite.com slash e slash boozy dash book dash club dash at dat dash script dash haven dash Worcester dash tickets. Oh my goodness. Dash seven one seven one oh nine eight seven. 3937. Well, you've got to be really keen to go um, if you <laughs> to type all that in. That's more dashes than I've ever heard. In I know. Ideas. Right, now it's cost-cutting time, and this time it's on city water features. Cost-cutting axe falls on city water features. The council is to slash the number of days that fountains and water features stay switched on in a bid to save money. 
Worcester City Council's latest proposed cost-saving measure will be shutting off a fountain in the city's Cripplegate Park and the water fountains at South Quay next to the River Severn for longer periods during the year. And this move would save around £21,400 a year. It currently costs around 35600 a year to run the two fountains, according to the City Council, including 28000 for servicing, maintenance and repairs, and a 6600 electric and water bill. The water fountains at the South Quay run on a timer and are switched on between 9am and 7pm for 233 days a year between April and December, with the fountain in Cripplegate Park running 24-7, but only for 168 days from April until the end of September. I'm glad there isn't a test on this at the end. The City Council's proposal would restrict each fountain to only 100 days a year, cutting the number of combined operating hours from 6362 to 3,400. Both fountains cost more than £200 a day to run, with the £30,000 it takes to run the South Quay fountains on 168 days a year, costing £178 a day. The fountain in Cribblegate Park costs around £5,600 to run and maintain, which comes at a cost of £24 a day. For the 233 days, it runs continuously. The Council's Policy and Resources Committee will be presented with a list of options, including shutting both water fountains completely and closing the Cripplegate Park fountain to save the South Quay fountains. The Council's officers have recommended councillors choose to reduce the operating hours at both sites. Cutting the number of hours of the two fountains is a ploy by the City Council to bring its operating times in line with the City's popular splash pad in Gellivelt Park. Councillors agreed a month ago to slash the number of days the splash pad opens a year from 166 to 100, saving around £26,000 a year. The splash pad is usually open from the Easter school holidays until early September, when they all go back to school, of course, but the new money-saving proposals would see the water play area open from the summer school holidays until the beginning of the new school year. And now a charity bookshop has closed its doors after 25 years. But Books for Amnesty in Morven is set to open a new premises in town in the coming weeks. The popular bookshop, which raises funds for Amnesty International, is moving out of its home in Edith Walk. It occupied a Victorian building from its opening in September 1998 to last Saturday, this September the 30th they're talking about, when it closed its doors for the final time. The shop is relocating to Church Walk and volunteers hope to be open in time for Christmas. Jan Dyer, who's volunteered at the shop since 1999, said we have a 27-strong team and we're one of the only Amnesty bookshops without a paid manager. We work very well together and we've got groups of people going up every day to pack up the books. We're very well known in the area and actually people come from quite a wide area to visit us because we have such an eclectic selection of books and all of them are donations. The book, the bookshop was opened by Jenny Morgan and her son Owen in 1998 and it was a success from the get-go. In the early days we would knock on doors for donations and we've built up a reputation over the years. Jan described the Edith Walk shop, which was once a jeweller's, as quite small, a quirky premises, and had happy memories for the volunteers selling ice cream 
as well as books. That went a while ago and we have a much more professional look now, she said. We've got lots of plans for the new shop. We're going to have a gift aid, a computerised till and hoping to have a celebration later on in the year, but not just of the move, but for 25 years. The bookshop held sales through September, with books costing no more than 50p in the shop's final few days. Any books not sold are being donated to a company that sells and recycles books. When the new shop opens, it will be with completely new stock from London, and people have already left their names and addresses wanting to donate books to us. For all the latest news, visit www.worcesternews.co.uk. Vandals have gone on an extensive graffiti spree, spraying their tags in brightly coloured paint over a special city park. The artists have tagged a number of signs and a bench covering them in red and pink graffiti squiggles. People living nearby have been disappointed to see the tags appear, with one city councillor calling it a real shame. They've targeted a special place. There have also been calls for police to regularly patrol the park. Among the signs graffitied are the Purdiswell Park signs and information boards about the canal and animals living at the park. Alex Mace, who describes himself as a community campaigner, took pictures of the tags he spotted while on a run through the park on Bilford Road. He said, I was passing through Purdiswell Park and noticed almost every sign in the park had been graffitied, so I've reported all nine to the council for clean-up. He pointed people towards Worcester City Council's website to report issues. Councillor Mel Alcott, who represents the Claims Ward, where the park sits, said it was a real shame. We're aware of an ongoing problem. When I joined the litter-picking group, we always spot graffiti, so it doesn't surprise me. I just think we need more resources. We need more community policing. And we need more preventative measures to stop it happening. She said across the city there wasn't a lot for youths to do. Youth services have been kind of forgotten. There are some things, but not enough. A Worcester City Council spokesman said, We are aware of the graffiti and we are looking to remove it as soon as possible. Disabled are bullied more. This is a story from um, Worcester Hospital. Disabled staff at an NHS trust which runs Worcester Hospital are more likely to experience bullying, harassment, sorry, harassment or abuse from their manager than their non-disabled colleagues, new figures suggest. Disability Equality Charity Scope said the figures are deplorable and urged the government to strengthen its disability confidence scheme, which employers enlist in to improve access and working conditions for disabled staff and better protect disabled workers' rights. However, Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust says it has zero-tolerance approach for such behaviour. Figures show that 16% of disabled staff at Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust experienced bullying, harassment or abuse in the previous 12 months. This fell to 13% of non-disabled staff, meaning that disabled employees were 1.2 times as likely to experience harassment. Thomas Hamilton Shaw, policy manager at Scope, said, It's deplorable that disabled people are more likely to experience bullying. Our public sector should be leading the way when it comes to disability employment. Similarly, disabled employees were more likely to be abused by the public with 36.3% reporting at least one instance in the last year, compared with 26.3% of non-disabled staff. Mr Hamilton Shaw said the government must address this by strengthening the disability confidence scheme so employers actually improve conditions on the ground. 
and increase funding for the Equalities and Human Rights Commissions to better protect disabled workers. Tina Ricketts, Director of People and Culture at Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said, We have a zero-tolerance approach towards bullying, harassment, discrimination, violence or aggression of any kind towards any of our staff, patients or visitors across all of our sites and services. Our behavioural charter, which launched in 2022, sets out how we will respond to poor behaviour from both staff and patients to encourage and empower everyone to stand up to discrimination or incivility. Here, here. Two men have been arrested following a drugs raid in a block of flats. Police executed a drugs warrant in Ennerdale Close, Warnden, Worcester, yesterday, that's Tuesday, October the 10th. A West Mercia police spokesman said, At around 7.15 this morning, officers carried out a successful drugs warrant at Ennerdale Close in Worcester. Two men were arrested on suspicion of the supply of Class A drugs and money laundering following the seizure of controlled substances dealing paraphernalia and large quantities of cash. There was a large police presence at the flats yesterday morning with officers seen entering the building through two different entrances. A number of police vans and cars were parked in the street and officers wearing gloves appeared to be searching for something in the road. Right, well, I think that uh, will happily end our general news stories because if we want some time to read the sport we need to move on Um, so I'm going to begin with the first sports story which is that the city Worcester City Football Club have signed their ex-club captain Bradley Birch this is after the midfielder reversed his decision to retire at the end of last season Birch, 32, did sign for City on dual registration terms from Hales Owen Town at the end of the 2022-23 campaign, but later confirmed on social media he was hanging up his boots. At the time, he said on X, formerly known as Twitter, The time has come. I want to thank everyone who's been involved in my football path from start to finish. This is my choice, and my choice only to hang the boots up. I've been part of some big games, big clubs in non-league and enjoyed it all. And the best part, I've met some amazing fans who are the heartbeat of non-league football. I've made memories to last a lifetime and friends. I'll be watching from afar. It's been a very hard decision, but it's time to concentrate on family in the future. Over and out, Birchie. But on Monday evening, it was confirmed on City's website that Birch has come out of retirement to play under manager Chris Corns. Birch captain City in the 2017-18 season after joining Starbridge, where he went back to at the end of that season. So, good luck. Let's hope he doesn't retire again too quickly. Indeed. Some more footy for you now. Manager Chris Corns decision to play hat-trick hero Dylan Hart from the start in Tuesday night's 4-1 win at Lydney Town was one that certainly paid off for Worcester City. Hart, who was kept on the bench in City's last two league wins, was held back specifically for Lydney, according to Corns, and that selection proved decisive as the striker scored a brilliant trio of goals to send City three points clear at the top of Hellenic League Premier. He was hit and miss at the start of the season with little injuries here and there, and we've taken our time getting him back involved because he does carry knocks, said Corns, but he's been brilliant. He's been out of the team for two games, but I thought this was a game for Dylan after the report I got on Lydney. City were cruising after a dominant first half saw them lead 3-0 at the break. 
Hart scored two headers in quick succession before half-time, adding to captain Adam Bates' opener. Lydney came back into the game in the second half as City took their foot off the gas, but Hart completed his hat-trick to secure a routine away victory with ten minutes left to play. These can be tough places to come, admitted Corns, but it's another three points on the board and that's what you take for it. There were a load of positives. We have hit the bar, hit the post. The keeper has made some good saves, but ultimately we were good value for the win. We took our foot off the gas second half, which wasn't pleasing at times, but I think the lads are trying to have a bit of a rest on the pitch at the same time. We've had a lot of games and it's mentally stressful for the lads, so you can't always complain about taking the foot off the gas for a bit. That's football. Ultimately, we got the result, and that's the main thing. Unfortunately, a Pershore Town player was taken to hospital with a suspected broken nose in this one. Police are investigating a Six Ways incident. At Six Ways on Wednesday night, which was um, October the 4th, uh, following the Hellenic League Premier match between local rivals Worcester Raiders and Pershore Town. After the game that ended 3-3 in dramatic fashion, an incident is alleged to have taken place involving Raiders' Isaac Cooper and Pershaw's Alfie Bloomer in the bar area. The Pershaw player was treated at the scene by Pershaw Town Physio before being taken to hospital with a suspected broken nose. West Mercia Police confirmed to Worcester News that it had received a report of the incident and has opened an investigation. Late on Wednesday night, Raiders released the following statement. We are aware of an incident that occurred between one of our players and an opposition player. The club takes this matter extremely seriously and will be conducting a thorough internal investigation to assess the circumstances surrounding the event. Until the investigation is complete, the club will not be making any further comments on the matter. We ask for respect and understanding from the media and the public as we take the necessary steps to address this situation internally. We are committed to upholding the values and ethics that define our club and will take appropriate action based on the findings of the investigation. Pershaw has said it will be making a complaint to the FA but has also said this when approached by the Worcester News for comment. Regarding last night's incident, all relevant information has been passed on to club officials so that they can decide the best route possible to reach a conclusion. All our focus will now look towards Slimbridge tomorrow night. We will be making no further comment at this time. And a different story this time about racing. New Worcestershire-based trainer Jamie Insoll believes his fledgling partnership with Dr Richard Newland can make their yard a racing powerhouse. Their joint operation at Erloxy Stables had four scheduled runners at last Thursday's Worcester Racecourse meeting. But as well as preparing horses for jump racing, Insoll's move last month to the facilities near Droitwich is aimed at producing flat racing winners as well. It means the whole operation is being scaled up from around 55 horses to 90 in total, with at least six new members of staff. We're generating a lot of talk at the moment, but hopefully we can get some results next year and the operation will then speak for itself, said Insole, a former assistant to trainer Charlie Hills. Richard has spent a lot of money on a brand new facility, which is state of the art, but there's the possibility of us putting a few more stables in and expanding. 
We will always have the interest in the jumpers, but I think the flat racing project could really fly. The aim is to cultivate a premier dual-purpose yard that sets the bar for excellence in the country. Newland has trained over 500 jump racing winners, including Grand National winner Pino de Rey in 2014. He moved to Erloxy Stables four years ago, but has rarely pursued success on the flat, with only 10 previous winners. And that concludes the uh, sports stories for this week. So what have we got left? I've got um, the sunrise and sunset times. The sun came up this morning at 7.28am and sets tonight, that's the 12th of October, at 6.22pm. Um, and I'd like to wish one person a happy birthday in our birthday file. On the 15th of October, it's Connie Blower's birthday. So I hope you have a wonderful day, Connie. We'll be thinking of you. And last but not least, we have the thought for the week, which Phil's going to read out for us. Yes, I'd be happy to do that. This is from Isaiah chapter 26, verses 12 and 13. Lord, you establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. O Lord, our God, other lords beside you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honour. Thank you. So that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank my readers today, Phil. Bye. And Jane. Bye. And John for his efforts on the engineering. And, of course, our wonderful production team under Carol Hartle's supervision, uh, not just her production team, the admin, and copying, and they do such a good job. So thank you to them. Otherwise, you'd never get your recording either on time or every week. And that just leaves me to say goodbye. I hope you have a wonderful week ahead, and take care. Teresa Stella Beard passed away peacefully, surrounded by her loving family on, on Saturday the 16th of September, aged 85. Funeral service to be held at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 16th of October at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, to St Richard's Hospice. Patricia Burton, née Mears, passed away on the 20th of September, aged 94. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 17th of October at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please. Donations are invited for the Teenage Cancer Trust and may be left at the service. David Clark passed away peacefully in hospital on the 28th of September, aged 82. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 18th of October at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please. Donations are invited for the Midlands Air Ambulance and may be left at the service. Raymond Rogers of Plough Road, Tipperton, passed away peacefully at home on the 10th of September, aged 97. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 16th of October at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the Salvation Army may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Anne Priest, née Brown, of Upper Sapie, peacefully at Highwell House Care Home on Friday, September the 29th, aged 87. The funeral service will take place at St Michael and All Angels Church, Upper Sapie, on Tuesday, October the 24th at 11.30am. Refreshments to follow at the Falcon Hotel, Bromyard. 
No flowers, please. Donations, if desired, for the Midlands Air Ambulance. Enquiries to Emma Bowston Funeral Services, 3 New Road, Bromyard, HR7 4AH, 01885-489-900. Doris McGee, formerly Reading, passed away peacefully in September at Southampton Hospital. Funeral will be held at the New Forest Crematorium, followed by internment of ashes at Malvern. Worcestershire. Donations, if desired, in memory of Doris to Kidney Research UK, care of Maria Jones Funeral Directors, Little Holbrook, 56 Brookley Road, Brockenhurst, SO42 7RA. And the telephone number for that is 01590 622981. Jean Iris Oliver, formerly Jean Iris Link, passed away on the 23rd of September. The funeral service will be at the Vale Crematorium on Wednesday the 18th of October at 12 noon. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for the Aplastic Anemia Trust or Leukemia UK may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury Funeral Director, 12 Upper Housel Road, Malvern, WR 14 1TL. Brian John Orme passed away on the 20th of September. The funeral service took place at Astwood Crematorium in Worcester on Thursday the 12th of October. Donations, if desired, to Dementia UK. Lynn Eves Baker of Beveray, Worcester, passed away on the 27th of September. The funeral service at Worcester Crematorium will take place on Thursday the 19th of October at 10am. Flowers and or donations for Alzheimer's Society may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Pauline Griffiths, formerly Pauline Avery, passed away peacefully on the 25th of September. The funeral service will be at St. Clement's Church on Friday the 20th of October at 11.15am, followed by cremation at Worcester Crematorium at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations are invited for St. Richard's Hospice and may be left at the service. Stuart Robertson, known as Robbie, passed away on the 2nd of October. The funeral service will be held at 2.30pm on Thursday the 19th of October at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for Dementia UK online or via EJ Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Andrews, James, Jim, passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on the 1st of October 2023, aged 84 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 18th of October at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for Parkinson's UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Brazier, Sheila, Sheila Anne. Passed away peacefully on the 26th of September 2023, aged 90. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 20th of October at 20, uh, 2023 at one forty-five. 
Family flowers only, please. Donations to St Richard's Hospice, a collection box will be available at the service or can be sent to George Crump, Funeral Directors, Droitwich, WR9 8PW, payable to St Richard's Hospice. Cottrell, Jennifer, Mary, Jenny, nay Bennett, of Fernal Heath and Droitwich, passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on the 30th of September 2023, aged 77 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 18th of October at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice or Smile Train may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3-7EU. Yates, Joan Cecilia of Worcester, passed away peacefully at home on 13th September 2023, aged 90 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 19th of October at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for the British Heart Foundation... Macmillan Cancer Support or Dementia UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU.